At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. Healthcare Americana is a podcast for the 99% of people who get Healthcare America. We're not clinicians or policymakers. We're patients and caregivers, executives and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. This podcast brings listeners backstage at innovative organizations with innovative individuals that are putting patients first by delivering exceptional care to anyone and everyone. Every once in a while, I get the pleasure of switching off of really direct care and addressing problems that are existing in the American healthcare industry and really talking about a lot of solutions. Obviously, within the Freedom Health Works, we're big on the direct care industry and the direct care aspects and all the great benefits and stories that come from that. Today, we're going to have what I consider more of a public service announcement, even though we chuckled when we, we kind of talked about that off air. With me today is Dr. Fasiha Khanwal, the Chief of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at Baylor College of Medicine. Now, the reason that Dr. Conwall is with us here on Healthcare Americana is talking about a recent phenomenon in what she terms NASH. Dr. Conwall, thank you for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. I'm going to, before I get any over my head dealing with any type of disease states or any type of conditions, I'm going to yield the floor to you. Um, like I said, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to talk to you. And when you first contacted us and said, hey, there's this thing going on, you know, non-alcoholic fatty liver diseases that people really need to know about, and in particular, primary care physicians and, and, and practitioners really need to know about, you know, it certainly piqued our interest because it's not every day that we get to have somebody like you uh, as esteemed as you are on the show to talk about this and really go from an informational and educational standpoint. So give us, you know, the overview of what NASH is and the litany of, of acronyms that really I started looking at and said, wow, this is this is really scary and this is affecting a lot of people in America today. Yes, thank you uh, for having me over. Um, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, um, I'm going to use the term NAFL. It is when there is fat in the liver. We call it hepatic steatosis or fat in the liver. Um, and it's important because this is becoming the most common cause of liver disease in the U.S. and globally. As many as 30% of individuals in the U.S. have fat in the liver. It's one in three people walking down the street could have NAFLD or fat in the liver. And NASH is a subtype of NAFLD. It's non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. Um, I'll use the term NASH. This is when there is inflammation along with fat in the liver. It's more progressive form of NAFLD. It occurs in about 20 to 30% of patients with NAFLD. If you can just do the math, still is a very large population that could have NASH. And the problem with this is that it is progressive. It could lead to scar tissue in the liver. It could lead to a condition that's called cirrhosis of the liver. And in some cases, it could even lead to liver cancer. 
um, not just the liver part, it also is associated with an increased risk of cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular mortality. So uh, it's an important condition because A, it's super common and B, it, it is progressive. So that's why I think it's important for us to talk about it, to recognize that it's, 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 uh, it's uh, common um, in order to figure out a way how do we manage uh, this population, which is increasing in size. Is this something uh, you just mentioned right there, increasing in size? Are you seeing this phenomenon more recently? Because most people consider, well, liver disease is just for people who are heavy drinkers or alcoholics. And obviously, the first two words and what you just said were non-alcoholic. So where is this coming from? What trends are driving it? Yeah, it's a very good question. This has been there for a while. Yes, we're seeing more of it because it is it parallels the increasing um, prevalence of obesity and diabetes, just the metabolic risk factors that we see in our communities. Um, and that's why we are seeing more and more of it. But it has been there for some time. Uh, the recognition was a problem. In, in the beginning, people thought that the liver, when you look at it under the microscope, it looks like there is damage from alcohol. But soon after that, they realized that it is happening in individuals who actually don't drink at all. And that is why the term non-alcoholic came about. But it is, it looks like alcohol-related liver injury. When you look at it under the microscope, it is becoming more common, as I mentioned, just because of the increasing risk associated with increasing prevalence of diabetes and obesity. So yes, I'm using more and more of it. Now, give us an overview of where your work comes in. So why, are, why is it your mission to go out, raise awareness, and how are you helping people? I um, have been part of uh, this initiative along with many others, I have to say. We've been working together um, under the umbrella of American Gastroenterological Association, or AGA, that brought together uh, experts from different disciplines. And it's important from different disciplines because the patients, the individuals with NAFRD and NASH, they're really seen multiple different clinical practices. And it's not really one discipline's job or within their purview to take care of this population completely. So it was important for everyone to get together. And one important fact that we discussed when we met for the first time is really bringing recognition of importance of this condition, importance of recognizing that this is, this is uh, a condition that can progress, um, and really coming with a unified way of managing this patient population. So, so as clinicians, most of all, we know that this is a common condition. Most of us have seen these patients in our clinical practice, but there's no standardized, unified way of how we screen this patient population, how we risk stratify this, and how we go about managing and uh, the purpose for this initiative that uh, I'm uh, part of and uh, help co-lead is to try to bring that recognition and start the conversation around how to best um, come up with pathways and protocols to manage uh, this patient population. I really see this as a beginning of um, work uh, that will take a long time to get done, but we have to start somewhere. And I think of this as a start. Not just it could take a long time, but working in multidisciplinaries, you know, within medicine, holy cow, I, I, you kind of made my eyes pop there because you made a great point that dealing with obesity and, and the conditions and the diseases that arise because of that, a result of that being overweight and being obese, you know, this is just one of those things, but yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, this, this is a handful of specialists in primary care and everybody on the medical road that have to work together. How, is, how challenging is that? And is that plausible to say, hey, we can take this, what we've learned, and put it on a larger scale? It is possible. 
I think most of us recognize the importance of working together and collaboration. It just somebody has to start that process. And I think that's why I said this is the start. That was the toughest part, right? Where do you start? Where's that first step? Yeah, so that, I, this is the first step that I think um, uh, the initiative that is referred to that I was a part of, I think of that as a first step. I can explain a little bit more. So this is an initiative that brought together experts from different fields, hepatology, a liver doctor, endocrinology, uh, obesity medicine, primary care physicians, and several others. They got together in a two-day meeting where they talked about all the challenges, all the possible solutions in starting to manage this patient population. And that, I think, is a starting point where at least there was a clear recognition of the importance of working together as a team. That team did happen. They worked together, not just for that two-day meeting, but also subsequently worked alongside each other to create the first clinical care pathway for patients with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And this pathway is designed to actually be implemented at the front end primary care level, where um, using some stepwise approach to risk stratification, to screening and management would really help standardize care. And that was lacking before. And I think this is the initial product of this um, multidisciplinary initiative to bring uh, a pathway forward that all the different disciplines agreed upon, that this is a way to start moving, trying to sort of stem the rise, rising tide of uh, NAPLE otherwise. Um, and we recognize it that this is just the beginning. And as science evolves, as we get more treatments and more diagnostics, some of these recommendations that we have in the pathway will change. But we are also ready to adapt these as, as things evolve. There was a need for a starting point, And I think that's what we've done so far. Like I said, that, that's always the hardest thing is, is, all right, I need to go conquer this mountain out there. First Take step. that first step, right? Yeah. Don't go all, all in one fell swoop and design the perfect thing. Let's get to first base and then we can go from there. So speaking of that, give us, give us the quick and dirty. What is that first step when you're educating Really, you know, the primary care is usually people's entry point into the healthcare system. How do you educate the primary care world? I think for the primary care, helping them identify populations of groups that are at high risk for this condition. That's a starting point. And there are three uh, high risk groups um, that are important. Uh, one are individuals with diabetes. One are individuals group that do not have diabetes, but they have other risk factors such as obesity or hypertension. And the third group that we come across not so infrequently in medical care are patients who have incidental findings of liver fat steatosis on imaging or have liver enzymes that are elevated based upon routine blood tests. So these are the three key groups where the risk of um, NAPRL and NASH is high enough that we recommend screening those three subgroups. Mm-hmm. And in terms of screening, we also provide very simple methods that could be used that are based upon uh, tests that are available as part of routine clinical care, but they could help risk stratify patients into low-risk groups, intermediate-risk groups, and high-risk groups. And I think with these tools, those patients can be identified and also especially the subgroup that would need higher levels of care. So this sort of more algorithmic approach is laid out in our recent work, and I think it's very applicable to primary care. 30% of the population, like you said, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I don't know what our current obesity rates are in the United States, but you've um, called the, the national epidemic before, and obviously coming off of the COVID-19 pandemic, hopefully coming off of it, I'll say that. Are those, are those correlated? Are you seeing that there's a massive uptick in diagnosing NASH cases and those people really hurting from COVID or 
Is there any connection there? Because from somebody outside of actual you know, care, uh, providing care, I'd have to think that, man, I'll just say this, COVID to, to me was eye-opening and how, how unhealthy Americans were. Is, is the rise in NASH, is that a condition of this? Is this a causation, correlation? Where are we with this? Yeah, there's no direct correlation, I think, with COVID. There are two different conditions. One is, of course, a very acute condition. Natural and NASH is a chronic condition. It is an epidemic, though, a silent one, because with the proportions that I just referred to and the fact that they're increasing, it, it, is, it is everywhere. And not just the U.S., global prevalence, if you look at that different studies, it's about the same number. It ranges somewhere between 20 to as high as 35%, overall like 25%, one in four individuals globally um, wow. have this condition. There is very strong association with how unhealthy we are. As you said that, it is a condition strongly, strongly tied with obesity. Most patients with obesity have fat in the liver. And the first-line treatment for this condition also rely on weight loss. Uh, so as you can see, the correlation, direct correlation there. Uh, and that's why I think it is important because it's preventable. Lifestyle interventions, changing how we live, lifestyle behaviors, they have a very direct impact and very quantifiable impact on this condition. And the sooner we recognize, the better we are. Yeah, not just preventable, but it sounds like it is treatable. Yes. So um, treatable um, to a certain extent. And the reason I am hesitating is that weight loss, using different strategies, diet, exercise, that actually, you know, some medications for weight loss, some procedures for weight loss, they could help reverse fat in the liver and also inflammation. Um, also been shown to improve outcomes in the long term. In terms of uh, pharmacological treatments, they are limited. Several drugs are in the testing phase right now in the pipeline, but nothing is completely fully approved for use yet. So there is, there is some limitation there. We do expect some of these drugs to become available in the near future. Having said that, the cornerstone will still remain lifestyle changes. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense. So you're working with a lot of different specialties, a lot of different physicians. You know, your initiative is preparing for the NASH epidemic, a call to action. What is your call to action, your public call to action to get people motivated from a patient side and from the medical side to keep their eyes out and hit this thing head on? Yes. So there are different things that we are calling out for. One is really adopting a multidisciplinary approach to managing this patient population. So it's a different mindset. Some of that happens, but I think we need to put more structure around it. Really, the best care for patients with NASH, it requires clinicians from different specialties. We talk about primary care, liver, or hepatology. We, obesity management is an important role, endocrinology. And we really need to figure out a team-based care approach to this condition. And the current structure that we have, which is more referral-based with many cracks in the middle, that will not really work. There are certain examples of uh, multidisciplinary clinics where all the specialties, all the different individuals are sitting together, co-located. Something like that is needed to really manage this patient population. We really also have a lot of work to do in terms of more sensitive tests, more sensitive diagnostic methods, certainly a lot of work to be done in uh, in terms of um, developing new medications. But at the same time, while we're working on those things, there is a need to come up with better clinical care pathways that we did with this initiative. And I think I can keeping the most important one for the last is we really need to come up with a unified international public health response, the public health problem. And we need to start recognizing this as one. 
you piqued my interest there, you know, something you said about how the need for multidisciplinary clinics is really there. And all too often referrals get siloed or they get lost in a lot of hospital systems. Are you seeing that that is a result of how the United States has designed its healthcare system versus, like you said, we need an international response to this? Where, for instance, is something working where they do work together and referrals aren't lost and they aren't siloed? I'm just, you, you piqued my curiosity, so I had to go there. Yeah, there are certain um, infrastructures or, or examples that one can you know, potentially uh, look to as an example. One would be um, there are certain practices that are based upon managing diabetes, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they are more, they are multidisciplinary. You have someone who is um, a physician, but working very closely with a dietitian, working very closely with someone who's helping in terms of exercise programs. Um, so that model, I think we need to expand and we need, need to also be able to take care of patients' liver uh, aspects of this condition. Another model that works really well, but again, it's the way it's designed right now, it's not um, financially sustainable, is around organ transplantation. Organ transplantation is, you know, one of the most um, complicated, complex medical procedures that uh, are there in in our discipline. But really, they do come together really nicely with all specialties working together within as a same team. So that model is there. Um, As we move more into value based systems, I I see that this is going to be a possibility, but we need to recognize this as an important condition to create value-based models on and for. And that's, I think, where that could potentially that bridge. Interesting. Yeah, that's, uh, like I said, you you piqued my curiosity when you said that, like, wow, okay. Because nobody's going to come out and say, hey, this is, everything's fine. It's, 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 referrals are not a problem. And, you know, doctors aren't being strong-armed to keep referrals in-house when, you know, the best specialist might be in a different uh, hospital system, a different state. And so I, I appreciate you saying that because a lot of times I think patients get lost in this and to the detriment of their care. And, and a lot of these conditions can get worse or left untreated. And then that's not the end game that, that anybody really wants. Dr. Connell, here, last question for you. If somebody wants to learn more, get involved, what's the best way? There is lots of information that's available online. As part of this initiative, uh, we have information all collated and collocated in one place. It's uh, nash.gastro.org. I'm happy to send you the link, which has information about this clinical care pathway that I keep referring to. Also has information on uh, an application, uh, an app that was created based on this path and other materials that are, I think, very, very relevant to your audience. So that's one place where quite a bit of information is available. The other um, practice guidelines um, and patient materials that are, are also available through American Association for the Study of Liver Diseases and also through American Gastroenterological Association. So I'm happy to share some of those with you. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll have that available on our website, healthcareamericana.com. Anything and everything we can do to help support your mission, we're going to do it. And, uh, you know, we're big supporters of physicians working together not being siloed, having the liberty to refer to the best people out there for their patients. It's a very admirable mission that you're on. And and so I salute you. Dr. Fasia Conwall, Chief of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at Baylor College of Medicine. Dr. Conwall, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Once again, I'm your host, Christopher Habig. This is Healthcare Americana. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast.
Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.